This episode of Wheatpeat's Word is brought to you by FieldView, the digital farming platform that lets you harness the power of your farm's data to optimize yield and maximize your return on investment so you can make the most of every acre. Good day and welcome to Wheat word here on real agriculture for wednesday august the 10th on this episode of the word more learning opportunities just awesome stuff out there that we can move the bar forward with weather and the implications there's some really interesting stuff that we're seeing and that we're learning from bugs bugs more bugs will the bugs ever stop it's a bug year and at the end We will touch on nitrogen because there is so much confusion around nitrogen emissions and what that means, and we'll try to straighten that out just a little bit. Let's go. First off, yeah, baby. I love this time of year. It is meeting, summer meeting season, summer tour season. We actually get into the field and we can see with our own eyes what works and what doesn't. So for myself, next week on Tuesday, August the 16th is the Middlesex Soil and Crop Tour. I will be there and hopefully bring your questions. I'll answer them. On Wednesday the 17th, Living Labs is having a field day at 3Gen Organics. Now, I managed to get to Brett and Carl and Jamie Israel's farm. That's 3Gen Organics on Tuesday of this week and toured through some of the things and just some amazing differences that you can see there in terms of the impact of tillage, but even more so to me was the impact on rye and whether you roller crimped it or you harvested it and then tilled it up and planted soybeans into that. And man, people need to see that because it's really an eye-opener. Then, of course, on Thursday, the 18th, is the Brant uh, Haldeman Niagara Compaction Day, just just east of Brantford on Highway 2 at Snowball and Farms. That is a full compaction day. There's going to be so much to see and learn there if you haven't a joint a compaction day, man, you should be there. Uh, the same day is actually the Oxford Soil and Crop Summer Tour. And I'm sure, check with your local soil and crop associations. We haven't quite yet got into a lot of the other field day tours. Most of the field day tours with the corn seed corn companies or the soybean seed companies will start later. This is soil and crop season. Check with your local soil and crop because they probably have something going on that is really, really cool. Meanwhile... Rainfall. I thought the drought had totally broken. Yeah, we go to the site of the Brant Compaction Day just east of Bradford, and guess what? They have had almost no rainfall. We are there setting up on Monday, and I leave after we got most of the things organized, and I drive into this massive thunderstorm that you would just say, holy, they are going to get drenched. Uh, They got four-tenths of an inch of rain. So there still are dry pockets in the province. It is amazing, but we are watering the compaction site so that we have enough soil moisture there to show you what we need to show you. Uh, If I hadn't visited there... I would not have known that. Meanwhile, other people tweeting out pictures of four and five inches in the rain gauge. And when we go east, when we get out into eastern Ontario, that continues.
continues to be the mecca of Ontario this year. Just almost perfect weather from a rainfall and temperature perspective. Crops, apparently, I haven't been out there. I will get out there, but crops just look phenomenal. And wheat yields have been through the roof in that area, up to 40% above the best they've ever had. That is something else. Meanwhile, talk about water. And, you know, worldwide, irrigation is really starting to get under the gun because of water use restrictions. Terry Dander tweeting out a a link to an excellent article about irrigation out of the Colorado River. So that's down into Nevada and California and and all that, that western seaboard. Almost all of the irrigation water comes out of the Colorado River and agriculture uses 80% of the water that the Colorado River actually provides. And we all know, we've seen, you know, Lake Mead is down. They're at risk of not being able to generate hydroelectric power, so they have to reduce the water use. And so there's a a proposal on the table right now that would be a 20% reduction in the irrigation water used by agriculture out of the Colorado River in that California area massive in terms of what that means to vegetable production. And it's not just in North America. The same thing is happening in the UK right now with all the heat they've had. They have real issues in the vegetable industry as well. Wow. Water is going to become more and more critical, and we just have to learn how to to manage it better because, as we've all learned, again, with the drought in southwestern Ontario, uh, rainfall just, rain makes grain, as, as Nature not Nick sent to me in, in, to, in an email, rain makes grain, no doubt about it. Meanwhile, we're all focused on rainfall and, and water in western Canada on August the 6th, a tweet from southwestern Saskatchewan, and the low temperature that night got down to 1.6 degrees Celsius, and you just, whoa, that is cold. They're in the middle of a heat wave right now, but just a few days ago, they were not, and those nighttime temperatures really getting just too close for comfort. Lots of growers in the wet areas in Manitoba and eastern Saskatchewan where seeding was delayed, 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 but they got the crop in eventually, the vast majority of it, and it actually looks pretty good right now. But now everybody is really starting to get a little bit antsy because... It was seeded late. If we get an early frost, that can be all bad. So lots of things in agriculture that we just always have to keep on top of. Hey, just before I move on, I want to mention there are some really nice soft white winter wheat premiums out there. Oftentimes, we don't see those premiums, and we need those premiums to show up at planting time. Because the 2022 crop, yeah, you can get a buck fifty a bushel more for soft white winter wheat. But you know what? You would have had to plant that soft white winter wheat a year ago or basically 11 months ago. And so if the premium isn't there at planting time, well, once it's in the ground, you can't change it. And, and it just doesn't, doesn't work. There is about a dollar a bushel premium right now for soft white winter wheat over soft red winter wheat. Charles? 
The management is exactly the same between soft white and soft red. No difference whatsoever. There are some soft whites that don't stand very well. There are other soft whites that stand very well, just like there are in soft red. So pick your variety carefully. The only added risk with soft white is sprouting, sprouting, and sprouting. And so early harvest is essential. But once you get into that dollar bushel premium, it's certainly worth taking a look. And don't ignore hard red winter wheat either, because it also can do a really good job. And on that note, Rick just saying, hey, Peter, be careful now. You're talking about, you know, high wheat yields and low proteins. I got, a, I think it was 127 bushels per acre Rick got at 13% protein. So you can do it, absolutely. But then Rick did mention... Uh, I probably should add that I have manure, we split our nitrogen, we don't short ourselves for sulfur, and on our soils we also need manganese, we do all those things. So yep, soft red can make it, but it does take that little bit of added management. Okay, going to move on, I want to talk quickly about corn, because last episode... I talked about short corn, and I said Ryan talked about, I think, six-foot corn or seven-foot corn, whatever. Immediately, Ryan Benjamin's great agronomist out of Lambton County, a super friend, and he just, he hears that, and he sends me the picture. He says, Peter, you give it way too much credit. Ryan's not a tall guy, and he's standing there in the field, and the corn is shorter than Ryan, so he's saying four to five-foot corn that is fully in tassel, but What's really interesting about all this short corn, you know, we talk lots about the impact of drought and the yield reductions that it's going to cause. But a lot of that data is older data. And if there's one thing that the breeders have done for us with corn hybrids, it has increased the stress tolerance. So one of the things that used to predict how much yield loss you would have is the tassel to silk interval. So it used to be that the tassels came out first on the corn plant and the silks came out second. And if that distance between tassel emergence and silk emergence got wide, if it got out to be seven days, you would have huge yield losses because the tassel would shed a bunch of pollen and the silk wasn't even there to to receive it. Well, that's all changed now. And with talking with Greg Stewart, you know, the silks now come out before the tassels and what's really interesting about that is the silks can sit there for two weeks and, and they just wait for the pollen. doesn't matter if the pollen's delayed, they just wait. So all of this drought corn that we looked at that's five feet tall, as Ryan tweeted me, and we expected that we would see poor pollination. And when we look at the pollination in that crop, it actually looks really good. Now, it doesn't mean the kernels will be big. We can still have yield loss. But it's only the super droughted corn, the stuff that is three feet tall that tasseled out, that has, and basically it's going to have no cob because it was that droughted. But short corn looks like it has pollinated really well. That is a huge shout out to the the genetic improvement that we have had in this corn crop, and hopefully, we'll wait till harvest to see, but hopefully, the drought that we had, the dry conditions that we had, are not going to have as much impact on the corn crop as what we originally thought or are concerned that they might have had. Ah, maybe not a lot of 300 bushel corn out there, unless, of course, you go to eastern Ontario where where it's just perfect this year. But here in the southwest, we're hurt. 
but it doesn't look like we're hurt the way that we thought we were going to be hurt. Meanwhile, we go to Alberta, and you know, earlier on, we had talked about Alberta and how dry they were, and Jake. Now, Jake's at Camrose, and they were never as dry as down in the Lethbridge area where Sean from Real Agriculture is and Kara where they farm. But still, at Camrose, Alberta, 16 ton per acre barley silage, almost record yields, when they thought they were super dry to start, but Mother Nature came in after the fact and gave them good rains. I've talked about that a bit before, but wow. You just never want to take your foot on, off the gas from that perspective. Meanwhile, Barry and Tyler from uh, Onondaga, just outside of Brantford, they're on tough clay soil, and Barry's sending me a picture saying, you know, Peter, the ancient adage of dry years will scare you to get death, wet years will starve you to death is maybe going to hold true again this year. They've been extremely dry through that area. That's the same kind of area as the Brant compaction day. So no rain to speak of tough clay soil, no till soybeans into 220 bushel corn stover from last year. And Barry says it's an ankle biter of a crop you drive past or you first walk in and you're just going oh my gosh these beans are terrible they're only 14 inches tall but then he got looking at the soybean plants 29 pods on a 14 inch tall soybean plant two of those pods were four bean pods and it's kind of like wow you know, where did this all come from? So make sure you got the air reel on the combine headers uh, tuned up and working well before we go to the soybean fields because those are pretty short beans to get into the combine. But gosh, that sounds like a way better soybean crop than you would ever expect from 14-inch tall soybeans. The other thing that I will add, a couple of other things on the soybean crop before we move on. One, the late-season beans are reflowering. Now, it's going to be one of those years where the rain came too late for the short-season soybeans that you want to plant wheat after. And that's really critical to get that wheat in early. We know that. But they're just far enough along in their development that most of those early maturing soybeans are not reflowering. The late soybeans are reflowering now that they've got moisture. They should set more pods. And so yield potential on the soybean crop in general looks really solid. Uh, maybe not a record, but really solid despite the, the weather that we've had. On the other hand, my son Jeremy works for Savita out scouting soybean fields, sends me pictures uh, in a really drought-stressed area on, on heavier soils, and there are pods littering the ground. They've just dropped off the plant, and that is incredibly rare. Now, there are still lots of pods on the plant, and we're pretty sure they're falling off because the plant just didn't have the resources to keep them all on the plant. But that is something that we have almost never seen in Ontario before. Bigger pods dropping on the ground because we, uh, the plants were just that stressed. Hopefully, we don't see that anywhere else or ever again. But wow, it, it has been a tough year. No question about that. Okay, I want to go on. And a quick alert. Not, not alert, alert, alert. But alert because Western Bean Cutworm, the peak moth flight has occurred mostly about two weeks after peak moth flight. We need to start scouting edible beans. 
and Kennedy from Woodstock saying, Peter, in our cranberry beans, we've already seen significant western beans cutworm damage, and we've had to spray for them to control them. So get out there and scout your edible beans. The threshold is a little bit fuzzy. You look at 10 pods at 10 different locations in the field, and if damaged, so that's the the western bean cutworm larva, actually go into the pod at night and feed, come out and go down into the soil in the daytime, and the next night they come out, they go in, they create another hole. So if you can easily find feeding damage, then you need to spray to control those western bean cutworm. You need to get that done soon. We're not seeing it everywhere, but it definitely something to get out there and scout. Meanwhile, the whole soybean aphid situation in eastern Ontario just exploded. Virtually everything needed sprayed. And Gilles Canel, my great friend there, is doing a, some super work comparing Safina, which does not kill the beneficials, to other products that do kill the beneficials. And looking at rebound, remember that that up until R5 or even R6, but up until R5, it's 250 aphids per plant and rapidly increasing populations. Once you get to R6, then absolutely the threshold goes up. You need more aphids. But wow, the Pandora fungus, that Fusarium fungus that typically will, will make aphid populations crash, has just not shown up this year in that part of the world. And it should have because we've absolutely had the weather. The, the other beneficials, the ladybug larvae, the lacewings, they just are not keeping up. And it'll be really interesting. In Gilles' data that he tweeted out, so far it looks like Safina that leaves the beneficials. We have not seen the level of rebound, but several other growers saying we sprayed Safina on August the 18th, or pardon me, July the 18th. And now we are starting to see some of those aphids move back in and population slowly increase but certainly not to a respray uh, level and so hopefully because uh, i think everybody in eastern ontario is tired of spraying they never get out of the sprayer and having to respray for aphids would just be oh my gosh is ever going to end a similar thing by the way in saskatchewan with grasshoppers they are just everywhere and growers continue to fight that battle it it's an insect year, no doubt about it. Okay, I don't have long to talk about nitrogen, but I do want to say, we'll link to it here in the post. There is an article by Kelvin Hepner from Real Agriculture that really does a great job of, of pulling together all this, this whole nitrogen emissions things. We've been following this for two years. A 30% reduction in emissions is not 30% less fertilizer nitrogen. We'll talk about that. There's lots more to come on this issue. There's a great video in Kelvin's article that's linked to by John Hurd. I think you should listen to that too. It's the, the leaky nitrogen pipe. And there's an also at the very end, there's a link to the Agriculture Canada website where they're doing a survey end of august that closes please go there fill out the survey and it, it, this nitrogen thing is huge agriculture can help reduce emissions and they can do it without reducing nitrogen fertilizer use i think i believe that and we just got to talk more about that but but so much misinformation out there, and we need to get that clear. With that, I am out of time. That's it. That's all on behalf of the team here at Real Agriculture. This is Wheat Pete with the word for Wednesday, August the 10th. 
Keep the feedback coming. Keep the questions coming. And I'll keep talking next week. See you then. Thank you for downloading this episode of Wheat Pete's Word. From planning to harvest and everything in between, turn field data into insights with FieldView. Because the more you know, the better you'll grow. With FieldView, it's always knowing season.